So, turn with me to Micah chapter seven for our text. We always take a text on our Sunday morning from our upcoming Wednesday night. Is anyone here slightly troubled by what you're seeing in the earth today? What's going on in the world? Um, some of you are like, no, <laughs> that means you're ignorantly blissful. Uh, some of you are wise probably to stay away from news and all that, because um, if you watch the news, things are troubling. I do believe though, the Bible says as Christians, we're to watch and see the signs of the times and the days that we're living. Um, <clears throat> and what's going on with uh, the situation with uh, Russia and Ukraine is interesting and important to watch as it relates to Bible prophecy. Um, you might say, well, what does the Ukrainian issue with the Russians have to do with Bible prophecy? I think there's some interesting links and some things we need to talk about, but we'll cover those mostly uh, this Friday uh, at the Prophecy Update. Um, but if you don't know, you know, uh, Putin uh, uh, did just really an all out uh, attack on Ukraine. And uh, some of the footage that comes out of the news right now is kind of uh, profound and amazing. I brought some of the snippets. These are, you know, Russian helicopters putting out those, whatever they call that, that those flares that sort of detour anti-aircraft fire. Um, but this is happening over the, the towns of, uh, of Ukraine. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of scary to see. I mean, <clears throat> some of the stuff in the images you've seen this last week were shocking. Um, you know, like for example, there's this tank that's coming down the road right here and it just turns and runs over a car uh, for no reason, just kind of runs over this car uh, and, um, and then backs back over it. <clears throat> and um, there's a little, uh, little old lady in this car. Um, she survived. She actually, th there's some footage of them pulling her out of this wreckage that's, that's shocking. Like, and, and she actually survives this whole thing. It's, it's kind of, that's the good news. Uh, apparently these Ukrainian people are very stout and uh, rugged. But um, this, you know, this is a rocket that hits houses in slow-mo, this jet coming in, dropping a, a rocket right there. And the boom in the video is kind of shocking and the families, you know, you know, all these people trying to flee the country, like it's been a mess. It, it almost has kind of a World War II, sort of Hitler invading Poland kind of vibe. Like it's, it's, it's almost weird how we're sort of going back to those kinds of days. And so minimally the, the geopolitics of it all, the Cold War is uh, up and running once again um, with Putin and Russia. And that's kind of an interesting problem. Uh, some say, well, no, it's not just a Cold War. Some are saying this is the beginning of World War III. And it depends on a lot of things. How far does Putin go? Um, what is China gonna do? Right now, China has this huge opportunity to do what they've been threatening to do with Taiwan. And, and if you don't think that's gonna affect the world, uh, having two major fronts like um, world powers going at it um, with a very weakened America right now, um, there, there is very much a concern that World War III is, is on the way. Um, you're like, uh, wow, that's really encouraging, Brett. We came to church for encouragement. You told us World War III and we watched a tank run over our car. Great, thank you. Really fun. Um, but, but the reason I bring that up is, you know, it's so amazing. Um, you know, here we are um, living in a time where we've been dealing for the last few years with this so-called pandemic. Um, you know, now we have a war, you know, while well, the pandemic's supposed to be winding down and we're, we're like, oh, maybe we'll get back to normal. As soon as you think we're getting back to normal, a war breaks out in Eastern Europe, uh, a looming humanitarian crisis with millions of Ukrainians free, fleeing their country. 
um, waves of anxiety and depression are coming over our nation uh, in unprecedented levels. Um, it's, a, it's, it's instable. The world is, uh, there's an instability that is actually uh, pretty profound. Not only um, are they still worried about coronavirus um, and all that, there's, there's a recession, if you might call it that, political upheaval, weakness. America has dropped into a whole nother level of weakness. Uh, supply, supply chain issues and problems along with uh, soaring inflation. Um, the, the American psyche, is, as far as the experts say, uh, is depression and anxiety. Um, and uh, you know, I just heard of Joy Bahar, she was a really troubled um, on The View uh, because um, she said, oh, this is such a horrible thing. And they said, why, the Ukrainian issue? Well, I was planning a trip to Italy and I don't get to do my, 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 my uh, vacation to Italy. Um, there's a little bit of tone deafness, if you ask me, uh, uh, while people are being killed uh, in Eastern Europe, uh, you're not gonna do your vacation in your uh, Italy house or whatever. Um, we've just kind of lost our minds largely as a nation. And it's, it's troubling. Um, well, as it turns out, Micah, the prophet, is in exactly that place. Um, he's in a place where he's, he was hoping to see something good, um, but he's like us, hoping that we're getting to the end of this crisis that we're dealing with, but only to find ourselves with more trouble. And he starts out his whole dissertation here in chapter seven, verse one. He says, verse one, woe is me. Um, apparently he had a horse named Ismi. No, I'm just, just kidding, sorry, that's not even funny. I don't even know why I told you that. <laughs> Woe is me. Uh, does, does he sound like someone else? If you're familiar with the Bible, you know, Isaiah the prophet talks like that. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, you know, and I live among a people that are full of unclean lips and um, all this stuff. And, and one of the things I'd like to remind you, we learned this on Wednesday night, that I, Isaiah, the big book, um, some people call the book of, of, uh, of Micah um, sort of the miniature Isaiah, uh, because Micah uses the language of Isaiah. In fact, did you know that Micah and the prophet Isaiah were actually contemporaries and probably friends? I believe they possibly would hang out. Well, how do you know that? They used the exact same sentences. It's like they'd been talking together and when they wrote their books, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's some great similarities. Some people call the book of Micah sort of the Cliff Notes version of Isaiah. Um, some of you made it through college on Cliff Notes, as did I. Um, but, but as it turns out, uh, Mike is a miniature Isaiah, and so some of his language is like Isaiah, but this woe is me. Uh, it's a feeling of great despair, and he's really troubled by what's going on in front of him. And, and then he, before he gets into the crux of the matter, he uses a sort of an analogy. Check this out, it's, it's verse one. He says, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage, there is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruits. Micah says, oh man, I'm hungry. I'm really hungry for, um, for some, just some grapes. And so he went to the grape gleanings. Now what's the grape gleanings of the vintage? Well, um, in the Bible, the Jews had a practice where you wouldn't fully harvest a field, whether you're talking about corn or grain or even the vineyard, you wouldn't completely harvest everything and you were to leave by Jewish law, sections of the, usually the corners of the field so that travelers, weary travelers could come by. And the word that they used was glean. Remember the story of Ruth, as they would glean in the field. Um, that's what Ruth was doing. 
Um, that's what Jesus and his disciples were doing when they went and ate corn along the way. Um, they were gleaning in that way. So Micah's using this, and oh man, I was just hungry for some plump, juicy grapes. And I went to the vineyard and there was nothing there. It was bone dry, no grapes at all. And he said, that's the disappointment. That's the way I think some of us feel. Oh, we're almost at the end of the coronavirus. Things are gonna get back to normal. No masks in Oregon for the first time in centuries. Okay, not centuries, but for a long time, wow. Only to find out that, well, there's a lot of things that are still going haywire with war in Eastern Europe um, and even stuff that's going on behind the scenes. By the way, one of the things you, a good Bible prophecy person will do is not just see the major things that are going on in the world, but when there's major crisis, like when you know, Russia attacks Ukraine, um, watch what all the other nations are doing behind the scenes while the whole world's attention is on the Russian-Ukrainian issue. Um, see what's going on elsewhere in the world. You'll see a lot of crazy stuff. That's the time you wanna do stuff that's controversial, especially if you're China and stuff like that. But I digress. That's Friday night stuff we're gonna talk about. But what a disappointment. Micah was just saying, oh, well, this woe is me. I'm so disappointed. I came for grapes, but there's nothing. Why? And now he gets to the list of things that are problematic in his culture, with his people, in his day. He says there in verse two, the good man is perished out of the earth. There is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net. Wow, this is dark. Um, there's no one that's doing good stuff. Do you ever kind of get that sense? And if you find somebody who's seemingly doing good, don't get to know them, because the more you get to know them, you'll realize they're doing bad. Like it, it becomes scary to become friends with people because people do stuff. And he's saying, oh man, there's no one doing good things. I can't, can't find, the word good here could also be translated as integrity. There's nobody with integrity or honesty. Um, and Micah's in despair. He says, woe is me because of that. And they're, they're lying in wait for blood, violence. Um, they're hunting down every man, not just any man, but their, their own brothers. They're, they're going against their own brothers, their own family. Verse three, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh and the judge asketh for a reward. In other words, the, the prince is the word um, better translated, the political leaders of the days of Micah. They're asking for reward. The idea is bribe. The judges and the, the, the political leaders are all uh, corrupt. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a, a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and now thy visitation cometh, now shall be their perplexity. Perplexity? The idea is because of their sinfulness, there's great confusion. By the way, this, this word perplexity is an interesting one because when the disciples asked Jesus um, in uh, both Matthew 24, but also Luke chapter 21, one of the things Jesus talked about in the last days, you know, the, Jesus talked about it, there'd be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse places, nation rising against nation, ethnicity against ethnicity, pestilence, which could also be disease, would, would run rampant. But um, Jesus goes on in Luke 21 and he says, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars upon the whole earth in distress of nations with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring and men's heart failing for fear. 
Jesus said, this is the way the last days will be. Men's hearts failing them for fear and perplexity. The same language of, of Micah. <clears throat> What's this idea of perplexity? It's just who can figure out the complex problems of the world. They're perplexed. There's nothing that seems like a good solution to the problem that they're facing. That's what Micah's saying. So verse five, he goes on, trust ye not in a friend. Put you not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. In other words, don't even talk to your wife, maybe your girlfriend, because she'll betray you. Like these are the days he's talking about. Verse six, for the son dishonoreth the father, the daughter rises against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the men of his own house. You see, verses one through six, and by the way, let's make sure all our cell phones are off at this time because um, there's an, that's the unpardonable sin. The Bible says that. Um, no, first bag of balonians. No, just kidding. No, let's shut those babies off. Uh, enough of that. Um, and uh, so here we have, we have you know, this, this depressing sort of dirge from Micah the prophet. Man, things are horrible. And he says, woe is me, because there's this, and there's nobody good and people are, are doing evil things. In fact, um, it's interesting because he, he sort of lists the things here and let's go over this. He says, you know, you're hard pressed to find one good person on the planet and they lie in wait for blood. The idea is violence. Did you know um, that Jesus talked about this in Matthew 24 at the end of the world? He said that the end times will be like the days of Noah. So it, one, it does one really good to actually, uh, you know, search the, the story of Noah and say, what was Noah's day like? Um, because in Genesis chapter six, it tells us uh, multiplication of population, which we're seeing on the earth today, uh, explosion of population that was happening in Noah's day, but also violence increased in the days when people were just being generally violent. <clears throat> and that's, what, that's the idea of men are lying in wait for blood Hunters like with a net, he says there in verse two. Um, and we're seeing violence at a whole nother level, not just you know Russia attacking Ukraine, we see violence like that, but just on the streets of America, we see violence. Uh, criminality and violence is going on. You know, the shootings are up all across America and all the cities, especially the cities that have defunded the police. Um, whoa, that's amazing. Why would crime go up when you defund the police? I can't figure that out. It's so funny how stupid we are. Um, it's amazing. Portland's you know, homicide rate, did you see the shootings last week in Portland? There was a whole night of just shoot, shootings, guns going off everywhere in Portland the other night. Just, you just, unless you watch the local news, you probably missed that, but yeah. Did you see, I mean, ridiculous violence. Did you see, in, I think it was New York where this big, huge guy's walking down the street and he steps out, there's this mother and her little four-year-old daughter and the guy, you know this whole sucker punching thing where people just punch someone without even letting them, let them know it's coming? This guy does this to the four-year-old girl. He just walks by and punches her with all of his might and the little girl goes flying and tumbling out into the street. Um, now, what was, I have to say that was horrifying, but I have to say, um, the good news, the little girl was actually okay. Little kids are amazingly re resilient. Um, but even more satisfying, did you see what the mother did? 
The mother, she wasn't this big burly girl, but she goes like in a bolt of lightning, she shoots across the road to this guy who did this. And she jumps behind him and grabs him by the back and pulls his hoodie and just starts choking him out with his own hoodie and pulls him to the ground. And she holds him, he's, he's like a turtle on the ground like this. And she holds him there till the cops come. Like that was an amazing thing. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> See, you're all so violent. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just, but, but you know, that's, we feel that sense of joy because violence and this unfair stuff that's going on as far as people just being violent, it's, it's all over our country. And then, you know, people just love to see that stuff, you know, um, and, and then there's a, a line here in, in verse three where it says, you know, they, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. That's an idiom of the Jews to say, Man, we're all in. That's, that's the way we would say it today. You're all in to do as evil as you possibly can conjure up. That's what it means to go in with both hands earnestly. Man, when you look at the, the evil propensity for people to create and invent more evil things in this world. And man, we don't even need to go into all the stuff with sexual promiscuity and, and pornography and sexual gross things that people are doing today. It's just perverse, but evil, inventing new evil things, robots that are sex robots and stuff that people are passing around and doing and renting and crazy. We're, we're just all in. We're all in when it comes to evil. Um, I can't really understand verse three where it says these uh, judges and politicians are being bribed, I mean corruption, we don't have that problem. Oh my goodness. Did you know the United States used to be, <clears throat> not that long ago, we used to be considered one of the least corrupt nations in the world. Um, most of us grew up in a country that was esteemed as, well, at least the United States, you know, <clears throat> there's an honesty there. But did you see, there's actually a group that has for years studied the corruption index. Uh, and um, and I, I showed, I think, some of you guys from the Prophecy Update a few weeks ago, um, the report came out recently, corruption in the United States at the worst levels in almost a decade. The story says, advocates attribute the drop to declining trust in democratic institutions and poor oversight of pandemic-related financial aid. In other words, the money involved with the pandemic um, has gone into hands and there's a huge level of corruption that has shaped the whole coronavirus discussion and it had less to do with people's health and more to do with people getting money. And so because of that, this article says, uh, in the annual Corruption Perceptions Index, the CPI, the United States fell to a low of 67, which puts us out of the top 25 nations in the world, which we've always, always been in the upper uh, levels of trustworthy nations comparatively, but we've dropped a lot of these countries along with you know, the, some of the most corrupt countries in the world. Um, and so our number is 67 uh, of a possible four score of 100. Um, you know, the, the, the corruption we're seeing in politics. Man, uh, we can even talk about that. Um, but we're, we're concerned watching what's going on in the United States because of corruption and, and really all over the world. But as it turns out, his description perfectly aligns with our day. In fact, check out verse five, trust ye not in a friend. Um, some of your newer translations say neighbor, don't trust your neighbor. Are we in a place where we don't trust our neighbors anymore? I mean, it used to be in America, at least we know, hey, we may have different views. We might see things differently, but at least we can trust you to 
watch our house while we're on vacation or, or you know, you get to know your neighbors and stuff, but there's this crazy stuff going on. I, I'll never forget a couple years ago, I remember when Thanksgiving was coming and Governor Brown, this was KGW8 News, local station here. Governor Brown says people should call the police on COVID-19 violators. And that was in light, do you remember, of Thanksgiving. If, if people have friends over for Thanksgiving, call the cops. Days before Thanksgiving, the article says, Oregon Governor Kate Brown said she believes residents who know their neighbors are violating the most recent round of COVID-19 protocols, which includes capping the number of people allowed in your home at six, should call the police. We're all kind of shocked. And we're like, who would do that? Well, as it turns out, a lot of people called the cops on their neighbors at that Thanksgiving of 2020. Sad to say. Um, now, I think most of the uh, cops didn't do anything. Like it was, it was ridiculous that people would call. The, they, got, they got their aunts and their uncles and grandma showed up to Thanksgiving. Um, call the cops. You see, the reason I, I, I mentioned that is because this lacking of trust, we're, we're in, a, in a strange place that I've never seen our country in where, man, you just can't trust people today. Um, if you go into Home Depot, you might get yelled at if your mask is not on just right. You know, or if, or if you're, if you're, you know, uh, too close or whatever, people are tr- lacking in trust. Um, and it goes on, um, like in that same verse, verse five: "Trust not in a friend, and put not confidence in a guide." Some of your newer translations they don't use the word guide, but the Hebrew word is that. The guide is the person who should know how to get, you know, give you good advice and direction. People that you would normally trust, you you normally trust a guide. That's why you would hire a guide to take you through and show you the ropes and show you what's, what's the truth. But here Micah says, man, you can't even trust the guides. Um, who are our guides today that we don't trust? You know, um, the CDC, I used to trust them. Do you guys remember when you'd, you'd oh, the CDC, it's a bunch of scientists with lab coats. So when they said, eating hamburgers are unhealthy and they'll shorten your life. Man, I trust them and I, I realize, oh, I don't want to live forever, so I'm just going to eat more burgers. Thank you. <laughs> that's great. Uh, you know, die happy. That's the way I, that's my philosophy. Um, the CDC, we used to trust them, but what happened? Why did we start to not trust? Well, did you see the, the article? I mean, most of us knew this anyway, but this came out last week. You know, the CDC isn't publishing large portions of the COVID data that it collects. Um, This article goes on and um, says, the CDC is a political organization as much as it is a public health organization, said Samuel Scarpino, managing director of pathogen surveillance at the Rockefeller Foundation's Pandemic Prevention Institute. The steps that it takes to get something like this released are often well outside the control of the scientists that work at CDC. So it's not the scientists that are working at the CDC that's a problem. It's the higher ups that are trying to control information to the crowds and not giving the the people the real information. The performance of vaccines and boosters, particularly in younger adults, is among the most glaring omissions in the data the CDC has made public. This follows news reports out of the United States this past weekend, where it was revealed that the CDC, the FDA, and the NIH contained data about significant COVID-19 vaccine injuries and death that were not being reported to the public. Did you guys see the CDC's response? The reason why they held back all that information about how the, there's a high level of uh, injury and death uh, with this vaccine. In fact, this vaccine has more death and injury than um, other vaccines, all the other vaccines. This is the biggest one. And so what's interesting is suddenly um, they're not reporting that. Why? The CDC gave us this answer. 
you can't handle the truth. You guys are too stupid um, to understand the, the data and you might misinterpret it. Like for example, you might say, well, if there's injury and death, and then we're also realizing the vaccine doesn't really protect you that well, um, then we might not get the vaccine. See, that's why we can't trust you with that information. That, that's a strange set of logic, if you ask me. Um, so now the CDC and, and our president's wondering, why wouldn't people trust the science? Well, see, that's the problem. We trust true science, but when people are trying to hold the data back, that's not science at all. That's just politics. And, and so now, you know, everybody started to say, even the people that were saying, oh, the CDC and Fauci and all this stuff. Well, if you're really honest, if you look what's going on and, see, and watch what's going on in the news, um, we're realizing they've held back all kinds of information. So now we're in this day, like Micah's day, you can't even trust the people that are supposed to be our guides. Um, it's, it's amazing to me that they're asking, why can't you trust the CDC? Well, uh, we used to, we used to believe, uh, but not anymore. And I don't know that the CDC will ever get its credibility back, um, honestly. Um, uh, you know, it, not only the trusting guides, the, the, the last verse there, verse, uh, end of verse five and six, you know, you can't even trust your own family. You know, mother and son dishonoring his father, daughter rising up against her mother. Um, we're seeing more division in this country in families than ever um, and around the world really especially depending on what view you hold. I, I know many of you, your families have been greatly divided because of what, what your philosophy is on masks or in, in vaccines or, or church or whatever. People are really divided. Um, or just your general politics, man, we're really divided. Um, this is interesting, uh, Washington Compost article. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I mean the Washington Post. Hey, I get my news from all the different sources. Um, this was an interesting Washington Post article about a, a, a brave young girl who turned her mother into the FBI, why? Well, um, this, the title, pushed to the edge by the Capitol riot, January 6th, people are reporting their family and friends to the FBI. Now, um, the story goes on and talks about this um, politically uh, active 35-year-old girl cries out about the screenshots from her mother's Facebook page posting uh, her at the, the, um, the Washington DC January 6th rally, um, suggesting that Leslie's mom made it all the way to the Capitol steps. And because her mother made it to the steps of the Capitol, um, she reported her mom to the FBI because she said actions should have consequences. Wonder where she learned that, probably from her mother. But she turned her mom in and she said, I, I think I, I didn't realize she was this far gone, the girl said. Um, and there was a sense that there was a death in the family. That's what she said, because she had to turn her mother in. Now this, this January 6th insurrection, um, which is interesting. If, if you've been watching the media, what you believe is the worst thing since 9-11, it's the same. It's been equated to by our president and the vice president as being the same as December 7th, uh, Pearl Harbor. It's the same as 9-11. Uh, and you're supposed to trust our leaders, our politicians. There's a reason they're trying to say this and it has to do with bribery, but just like we talked about. But all that to say, um, was January 6th as bad as 9-11? Well, let's see, how many people died? That's a good measurement, wouldn't you say? Well, Brett, there were people, there was a police officer killed by a fire extinguisher that was crushed, crushing his head. I even saw the video footage that, that CNN put out. I saw it. Well, did you know that never actually happened? 
There was never a uh, police officer killed by a fire extinguisher um, on or even around that day of January 6th. In fact, no one died on January 6th except for one poor girl who was a protester. And we could argue whether she should have been climbing through a window of the Capitol building. We could argue about that and, and you know, but, but she was this unarmed vet who uh, was climbing through a window and uh, without warning, um, uh, she was shot and killed. So the only person that died on uh, January 6th was a, protest, a protester. And then there were some bad actors, of course, people that were you know, destroying windows and doors and doing things they shouldn't have been doing, of course. And uh, we, I understand that and we think we all understand that, but, but it's a little hard for us, especially if you're from Portlandia or greater Portland, where we watched on 2020 what a real riot looks like. Every night for a year in Portland, we saw our city torn to shreds people smashing the Max Apple store, you know, windows out and hauling away computers. And, and we saw people shot point blank and killed on our streets here in Portland on those riots. And night after night, consecutively, we saw real riots. And, and yet, um, what's interesting is, uh, you know, nobody cared about those rioters. Uh, it's funny, the, the lack of justice in a sense where those rioters, the Antifa guys, they got out the next morning. You know, you could cra crash windows and, and do all this stuff and you get out the next day. And there's people that actually paid for that to them to get released. But the people that are in, uh, were turned in by their daughter who made it to the Capitol steps with a sign, uh, they're actually, some of those people are actually rotting in jail as we speak. What, what's going on in our country? Well, it, it has to do with, uh, just the corruption in our country and the narrative and the propaganda. It's propaganda in the United States, it's propaganda in Russia, it's pop propaganda in Ukraine. Uh, it's amazing how the messaging is, is really just untrue and evil. Okay, now we're really depressed, Pastor Brett. Thank you. <laughs> I came to church for encouragement and you have people running over cars and tanks and um, uh, tanks a lot for that. But there's some good news. What do you do when you're in a Micah condition? What do you do when you're depressed? You're like, whoa, it's me, man, the world's falling apart. What do we do when you're frustrated by the, 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 the evil and the stuff that's going on? The stuff that Micah lists here, man, point for point, you can compare with our day. So what do you do? Well, Micah gives us the key. And it's a wonderful key. It's a, it's a, it's a not appreciated key to this problem. Micah has a mindset that's gonna get him through this, that is the same mindset that can get you through the days we're living. Let's take a look, and it's the final verse that we'll look. We looked at verses one through six, that's the problem. The solution is in verse seven. Therefore, he says, now, when you're reading the Bible, and you say the word therefore, what do you do? Ask what it's there for. Uh, so when you see the word therefore, what it's saying is all, because of all that stuff I just said about the corruption and evil, and you know, families betraying each other and sinful junk. And he said, therefore, because of all that, what's he gonna do? I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. What a powerful and important thing for you and I to embrace this weekend. As the world seems to be kind of going crazy, what do you and I do? Well, let's break this down into three things. Micah nails it here. He says, number one, look to the Lord. Um, I'll tell you, uh, when you're in situations that are dire and bad, the tendency is to look at the problem 
and keep your eyes on the problem. Um, and you know what's funny is um, you can be really depressed. Um, I think we need to be good at reminding each other, uh, husbands and wives and kids and everybody, reminding each other that, you know, don't keep your eyes on the depressing bad stuff. Some of you are news junkies and you're just watching the news, watching the news, watching the news, and your wife is wondering why you're so grouchy today. Um, wife, you can say, hey, maybe it's time to turn off the news for a little bit. And instead of looking to what's going on over here, maybe we need to look to the Lord. Um, we gotta change what we're fixing our eyes on because man, you can get real depressed real fast. It even doesn't take that much to get um, obsessed really with news and what's going on. Some people, they get this crazy eyed look and they're do you know what's going on in the world? That's a person that's been out there just a little too long. Time to take your eyes off the, the world situation and look to the Lord, keep your eyes on the Lord. The Bible is full of this admonition. It's in Psalm 121 verses one through three. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Don't you love that? Man, look to the Lord. Uh, I'm gonna look to the Lord from whence cometh my help. Your help doesn't come from CNN or Fox News or the president of the United States or his press secretary or um, any of that stuff. Our help comes from the Lord. Look to the Lord. We can learn a lesson, by the way, from Peter. Do you remember the story in Mark's gospel? I'll just put it up here just so you can jot it down in your notes. But Mark chapter nine, verses two through eight is the great story. It's also in Matthew 17, but it's the great you know, story of the transfiguration of Christ. It says there that Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a very high mountain place. And there um, they went up and Jesus started to glow white, whiter than snow, brighter white than any fuller could have made them. The, the idea there in the King James is saying they'd never seen a white brighter than the brightness of Jesus glowing there on the mountain. So there's Jesus glowing white. And then Peter, James and John are stunned when they see Moses and Elijah pop into the scene. Now they'd been dead for thousands of years. So to see Moses, it'd be like if suddenly I said, hey, you guys, I brought a couple guests here at Athey Creek. First, bing, all of a sudden, Abraham Lincoln pops right here. And, and then, bing, George Washington right here. The founding fathers of our country, you know, George Washington and the, and the abolitionists, you know, the one that ended slavery. We'd be like, wow, Brett, you've got, you've got Abraham Lincoln and you've got George, and you're up there too, whatever, but, but wow. Now, that's what happens. Peter, uh, he sees this. There's Moses and Jesus and Elijah glowing. And Peter, it says in Mark's gospel, not knowing what to say, Peter said, <laughs> I do that sometimes. Have you ever been in that place where you don't know what to say, so you start talking? It's guaranteed trouble. Peter, not knowing what to say, said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. We need to build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, and before he could get much further into that thought, now why was he wanting to build tabernacles? It's like, we're setting up shop here, man. We'll sell tickets. People can come and get their tickets. And you wanna see Moses? Okay, here's a Moses ticket. You can go and see Moses in the Moses tent. Um, that something, whatever. But Peter's so excited because Moses is there and Elijah is there and Jesus is there. But I get a sense that the reason Peter's excited is because of Moses and Elijah, not because of Jesus. He wasn't really excited when Jesus was just there glowing. 
He got excited when Moses and Elijah showed up. He said, oh, one for Moses, one for you, Jesus, of course, but one for Elijah too. And then what happened? Then it says a dark cloud came over them instantly. And a voice from heaven came booming, thundering from heaven and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. And the disciples, Peter, James, and John, fell on their faces like dead men. They were lying on the ground face down, quivering in their sandals because of that booming voice. that this is my son, hear ye him. And, and then eventually when they got the courage, they started to look up and it says, they looked up and saw no man save Jesus only. Interesting story. And there's a lot in that story that we could use to apply and learn from. But one of the things I learned as I watched that story is, you know what, you and I are very much like Peter. We get excited about people that we think are amazing people that we think are part of the solution. I mean, think about this. Let's just pretend for a second. If Peter could have taken one of those three guys back down the mountain with him, who would he have picked? Well, of course he would have picked Jesus. I don't know, man. If Peter could have come down the mountain that day from Mount Hermon with Moses, have you ever wondered how did Peter, James, and John know it was Moses and Elijah? It's not like we had photographs of Moses to know what he looked like. Was Moses holding the 10 commandments? What did Elijah look like? Did he have bolts of lightning kind of flickering out of the tips of his fingers? Because you know Elijah was the powerful prophet called fire from heaven and raised dead people and killed 450 prophets of Baal. That's Elijah, man, power flowing through his veins. Moses, synonymous with the law. I wonder if Peter thought that's all we need. We need Moses to come down this mountain because those Pharisees and Sadducees, they've messed up the law and Moses will let them have it, man, the giver of the law, yeah. Or, or what if Peter said, no, 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 I, I want Elijah. What we need is power and fire. Um, let's have a Pharisee fry. Um, so uh, we'll bring him down, show those crazy Pharisees and say, okay, Elijah, let him have it. Fire from heaven, that's what we need. I can see why Peter was all excited about Moses and Elijah, but what a sorry exchange. Moses is not a good exchange for Jesus. Elijah is not a good exchange for Jesus. Question, does anybody recall when finally they looked up and saw Jesus only and then they went down the mountain. Do you remember the first thing they stumbled into at the bottom of the mountain? What was the first thing they saw? Anybody? Somebody said it, I think. A demon-possessed guy. That's the first thing they bumped into is a demon-possessed man. Can you imagine if Moses were coming down? Would he have been able to help the, the demon-possessed man with the law? Well, as it turns out, the Bible even says of itself that the law does not save a person that poor demon-possessed guy would have been in big trouble had Moses come down. And Moses would have, what could he do, bonk him over the head with the 10 commandments? I don't know, but that wouldn't have helped him. What about Elijah? He could have come down and seen the demon-possessed guy, but I'm afraid Elijah would have fried him and the poor guy that was holding the demons. Like it would have just been a, over, a little puff of smoke. That wouldn't have been helpful for that guy. Jesus was the only one who could come down the mountain with Peter, James, and John, see this demon-possessed guy, and Jesus had the authority to, to free this guy from those demons and save him, and he was there in his right mind. Jesus is the answer. Not Moses, the law, not Elijah, the power. Jesus is the best embodiment of all those things. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. Jesus has power beyond any other. You and I make the same mistake when we start getting more focused on politicians. That's what we need. We need to elect the right politicians, which we do. What's interesting right now with the weakening of America and the situation around the world, even both sides of the argument are saying, yeah, we kind of need a new president. 
Um, people are a little worried about our president right now because there's a, there's a, a little bit of concern. People, not just the one side of any argument, people are concerned about this. But you know, keeping our eyes on that, that's, that's the wrong thing. I love the old Andre Crouch song, you know, uh, grew up listening to this. Um, uh, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. And that's what's so good about looking to Jesus. He is the real solution. You see, when I say look to Jesus, some of you say, oh, that's just a bunch of spiritual platitudes of, you know, look to Jesus, whatever. But we need real solutions. We need real problems. Well, that's in a way looking to the other things that, are, that might seem powerful or good, Moses and Elijah, the law or the power. But you gotta keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Um, keeping your eyes on Jesus. Man, what an important thing. Um, we get sidetracked on things that don't matter. I wonder if the Lord would boom down from heaven to some of us and say, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. I wonder if some of us need to hear that word instead of this is my Instagram account and I'm gonna really use that for letting people have it. Some people, that's a good thing. There's some good things going on there and you can do all that stuff, but we gotta make the main thing, Jesus. So number one, um, look to the Lord. Number two, Micah says, okay, because all these problems, I'm gonna number one, look to the Lord. Number two, I'm gonna wait on the Lord. What does it mean? That's a Christianese kind of talk. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Um, waiting on the Lord means this, what it sounds like, to be patient. But also there's an implication of, of seeking and asking and praying and asking the Lord for help and just to be patient and still and wait, to be still and know that I am God. Wait upon the Lord. Um, it's a common thing all throughout the scriptures. Psalm 37, seven says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man that brings wicked devices to pass. See, a lot of us understandably could be fretting because Putin has attacked Ukraine. And you know, as a, as a, as a church that has a large, part of a Slavic community here in our church, um, it's amazing how many of our congregation are hurting right now just because they have friends and family members that are in real trouble right now. And there's a, there's a real, you know, it's not just that. There's, there's people that I've talked to from, uh, you know, areas of Eastern Europe, Poland and Romania and other places where some people are a little worried about what's coming next. And you can fret and you can worry, but it says fret not thyself because of him who's prospering in his way, like Putin, who, the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Fret not thyself, but rest in the Lord and patiently wait on him. That's the admonition from, from God's word. Maybe one of the most classic scriptures, um, and I would pray this for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, um, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Who gets that? That sounds pretty good. I like that idea of flying and running and walking steadily. Um, but that goes to the person who waits on the Lord. Micah knew this. So Micah says, while everything's going crazy in, in, in his world at that time, he says, therefore, I will look to the Lord and I will wait on the Lord as it says here. Uh, but I love, I love his addition to that. He says, I will wait on the Lord for the God of my salvation. Salvation comes from God. He's the one who saves us. So I will wait upon him. So number one, 
look to the Lord. Number two, wait on the Lord. Number three, he says then the result of that is God will heal, uh, hear me. Um, I know that we've had a lot of people saying, we need to pray for Ukraine. And, and honestly, pray for the Russians. Um, did you see how there's some brave Russian people that are um, protesting um, what Putin is doing, like in front of St. Petersburg and, and in uh, Moscow and, and in front of the Kremlin even. And you Americans, we all kind of go, oh yeah, some protesters, good for them. But do you understand, you know, here in Portland, if you're Antifa and you're protesting, you can break windows and do all that and you'll be out the next day doing it again. In Russia, if you're protesting what Putin's doing, you might never be seen again. Uh, you have to understand, it's a little different deal there if you're protesting in front of the Kremlin. But some very brave, in fact, tens of thousands of Russians are even saying, yeah, this is not right, this isn't good. Um, and so what we've been saying is, man, what do we do? Pray, man, pray for the Russian people, but pray also for Ukraine and the, and the people there that are hurting, pray. And some of you, I know what you're thinking, yeah, you can pray all you want, but we need to do real stuff. We need to do things that actually really matter. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some things practically that need to happen. And, and um, you know, what's, what, what, what is the world's responsibility to try to help the Ukrainians? And there's, those are some interesting questions. But as Christians, it says, seek ye first, not second, <laughs> seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Micah gets it. He doesn't get bogged down in the politics of the corruption. He doesn't get bogged down in trying to stop people from betraying their best friend and their neighbor. Uh, he doesn't get into it saying, stop doing evil things with both hands. He doesn't get into that. He says, I will look to the Lord and I will wait on him, which means seeking, praying, asking. And then he, he confirms, and God will hear me. Um, I love what the psalmist said also, Psalm 61. He says, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast become a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever and I will trust in the covering of your wings. Selah. The word Selah means, think about that. Stop and ponder and meditate on that truth. When my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock. And, and us New Testament believers, we know that rock is Christ. We put our feet upon Christ. We look to Jesus, who's the one who's gonna save us and help us. And we'll stay under the covering of his wings. That's what we need to pray also for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters and just ask that the Lord will just put them in that place where their heart is overwhelmed, that they'll be led to the rock, Jesus, that's higher than us. You know, I kind of look at Micah and I think, wow, what a good lesson for us today and how appropriate it is. You know, where we're at in the Bible is where we're at in life. And what we need, brothers and sisters, today is the Micah mindset. If the church would just take on Micah's mindset, we'd be that much better off. And that is to look to the Lord, to wait upon the Lord for his salvation, but then also to listen, or know that he hears our prayers as we pray and offer our concerns and cares. But what about activity, Brett? When should we go into action? Only after you've done those first things. Then the Lord might lead you to, to become more active or do something you know, in a literal kind of way. And we'll see how that kind of cranks out in Micah's life um, as we continue our study. 
But for now, I think this verse seven, Micah 7, 7 is a great one. Those three things, would you make sure you're doing that? Look to the Lord, wait on the Lord, the Lord will hear you. Amen? Amen. Lord, give us this uh, Micah mindset. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to be a people who put our trust in you. As we see so many things going awry today, Lord, so many things that are off course and the, um, the sad things that are happening in the world. Our hearts break, Lord, for the Ukrainian people. Um, we, we consider what they're going through and can't even really imagine in so many ways. But we also take this time to pray that for all of Eastern Europe, Lord, that you just cause people to um, look to you. It's in these times of trouble where, Lord, I think sometimes you are the most clearly seen. Um, and so I pray that people would turn to you and look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Um, Lord, give us wisdom. I pray in these last days that we would shine the light of your son, Jesus, on every person around us. I pray that, Lord, your church would be effective in these things we've just talked about, Lord. Cause us to put our trust in you in these dark days. Lord, we do wait upon you both uh, for your direction, for your answers, but also for your coming. And you tell us, Lord, Jesus told us that, Lord, that um, in the last days we would see wars and rumors of wars, but to see that we're not troubled by these things, to know that the coming is drawing near. So I pray that we'd look up to the hills from whence cometh our help, we keep our eyes on you. And Lord, we do pray that you'd come quickly. Come for your church, we pray. Um, we look forward to that day when you come and set all the wrongs right. Until then, we patiently wait upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.